You're listening to Citizen Reporter broadcast at citizenreporter.org. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Citizen Reporter. I'm Mark Fonseca Rendeiro, and I'm at the kitchen table, which is located in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. It's my own house because this is a podcast and we can just set up microphones and declare a show. And that's that's what I've done. Um, I've invited to the dinner table or the lunch table, as it were today, uh, a very good friend of mine who I met probably back in... Oh, the late 2000 knots. 12. Uh, yeah, 2012. I would say 12. Yeah. 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 I think we met on Facebook because <gasps> I had heard about you. So I I did like a Facebook request. Oh, yeah. That sounds about right. But then when I saw your name, I think I just assumed that we knew each other. <laughs> and then I realized maybe we didn't. No, I was just... No, we did. But then I think we met first time physically at a conference, maybe may have been internet security something like that yeah there's always something with internet security (laughs) um but also because you and i went to the same well we did the same program at the same university no not not the same program but the same university what did you do i did a a european master's called erasmus mundus in journalism oh Oh, yeah that's not what i did no i think you did something in sociology right no actually i did european studies but it was the master program which they then changed again okay i guess we're just realizing we know nothing about each other nothing nothing (laughs) um but uh the voice that you're hearing ladies and gentlemen is katarina gomes hi katarina hey mark (laughs) when you talk to people in english you call yourself katarina no i call myself katarina sweet yeah that's why i always call myself mark fonseca i don't care who i'm talking to i have to say it's very weird to speak to you in english because we always speak in portuguese yeah and now it's like really weird to switch the brain to a different language but let's see how it goes i find i'm a different person yeah me too okay every single language you speak you kind of different you change a little bit yeah it's really weird yeah i'm by necessity i'm the most unfunny person in dutch (laughs) <laughs> I don't have the jokes. I don't have the jokes. Or I try to... Do they have a sense of humor? Question. <laughs> Open to you, ladies and gentlemen. You can tweet at Bicycle Mark. I'll usually see it. Um, but yeah, so Katarina, we've never done an interview or like a podcast together. Um, but you are in the world of journalism. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I've always loved talking to you about on the list of many things, really, but is um, is stuff we're working on in, in media and our, yeah, what we're paying attention to, what we'd like to do. And so that was part of my inspiration for asking you, knowing we were going to have lunch and then going, hey, wait a minute, we could record a podcast. <laughs> and to your great credit, you didn't seem to flinch in messages. And you were like, sure. <laughs> and I was like, Wow. I mean, I know she's great, but there it is, you know. Uh, so the fact that you didn't flinch, I really appreciate. Because you know, you know how it's. it's my let's podcast. not make let's not make life complicated more than That's it is, right? right. Yeah. And everything's recorded now anyway, including probably the path that you took on Google Maps to get here. So. <laughs> Your audience does not know me. My background is in journalism. I do journalism and many other things, mm. and especially in the many other things I do, I always present myself as a journalist. I guess. 
I guess people, this might sound shallow, but you always need some sort of tag or <laughs> a community that you need to connect to. And I yeah. see myself as a journalist. Yep. But then if I talk with other journalists, I say, yeah, I'm a journalist, but a different one. Yeah, there's always a but. Yeah. Well, yeah, but. <laughs> Maybe yeah. I'm a but, a but person. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but I see myself as a journalist. Um, I work with journalism, with innovation, virtual reality. Yeah. I also work with activism yeah. and uh, with dig digital media in general. Yeah. The, the whole intersection of journalism and activism, especially on this podcast over mm -hmm. 12 years plus, It always comes back. It's uh, something about the people that I like talking with or learning from, or maybe just I was raised on loving, admiring uh, activists and journalists, sometimes people who were both. Um, but for you, like growing up or even never mind, like you don't have to be like child <laughs> Katarina, but maybe teenager Katarina, I don't know. Were there, was it that you were looking up to people who were doing something like the work that you're doing now, were there such figures? And who, who were they? <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely activists, because I grew up in a small city in Portugal called Marinha Grande yeah. that is very well known for um, the anti-dictatorship uh, movement before the coup d'etat in 1974. Yeah. So yeah, my family, there's a history with that. My my dad was in jail, my, my uncle fled, and so on. So everyone in that city kind of grows up uh, believing that the best thing you can be in your life is anti-right-wing, anti-fascism. I mean, not everyone, but a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of a fantasy you grow up with. And then with journalists, it's, I mean, I guess it also depends where you grow up. Um, in, in Portugal, journalism, despite the fact that you need to make choices, is not seen as activism. Also, They kind of shun away from that tag. But, I mean, I, I do believe they are. But anyways, but mm -hmm. what I really always admire about journalism is actually the beauty of telling a story and the beauty of writing, the beauty of image, and really being this voice that you can convey a message or an opinion through the beauty of communication. And for me, beauty is something that is really important in everything I do. Mm. I mean... Again, life is already a drama. Why make it so complicated? Hmm. So better have a nice time here. Yeah. Yeah. So I, th I guess I grew up with a mix of um, admiring activists and appreciating the methodology of journalism. Yeah. Hmm. And did you know, even as a, let's say, college student, university student, did you know out of all the beautiful styles that one could use or the medium that one could use, Did you already see yourself as a I'm a I'm a text person, I'm a video person mm -hmm. or because actually, I mean, knowing you, despite the things I don't know, um, it never seems like you you tie yourself to any one medium. Actually, you mm -hmm. you'll use them all if allowed. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I never as a person had like one strict idea of what I wanted to do with my life. Um, actually, I ended up in, I wanted to be a diplomat uh, when mm. I was a teenager, and I ended up in journalism by coincidence. And um, and I think there's a lot of things I know that I don't want to do in journalism, but everything else, I'm willing to try it out mm. if it fits my goal. So yeah. it really depends on the goal you want to reach, the audience you want to speak to. If it makes sense, I'll use video, VR, 
<laughs> an offline meeting, why not? If that's the best way to convey a message to a certain community, yeah. why should you stick to just one style of communication? But there's many things I know I don't want to do or also that I, I really don't have the profile to do it. So I'm incompetent. <laughs> one of them is to sit behind a computer uh 24-7, which I kind of do already because I work remotely, so I have to. Right. But I don't have this sort of thing of, you know, writing nine hours per day. It would drive me nuts. I really need human touch yeah. and, and and creativity and to and to really think with people and being outdoors. Other things that I'm not really good at uh, <laughs> many <good> things. <laughs> um, I'm not the most detailed person, so maybe photography edition would not be something no. for me. But yeah. yeah. But in that sense, I mean, the beauty, if you can, sticking with that theme of making something beautiful, if you have a team of people to work with or mm -hmm. more than one in the end, if you're not the details person, then maybe you, you have a person who is the details person in your yeah. project. If yeah. possible, yeah. I just had a uh, um, a retreat, like a big meeting this weekend, and we were like four girls, and each one of us were we were talking about what we're good at uh, or what what we suck in. Mm -hmm. And I was so happy. And this is a project about um, women's empowerment in the newsroom. So we were like creating a strategy for the next two years, and I was really happy that half of the group was saying. I am super detailed and I love Excel spreadsheets. I'm like, yes, <laughs> we need take some, it. We need some of those. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyways, uh, what was your question again? Uh, no, it was more a comment about uh, if you're not <laughs> super detailed. No, it, was the, um, it was the idea that you had grown up actually with, with you know, who you admired and, and yeah. what inspired you to, to head in the direction you headed. But as you said, you actually were out to be a diplomat. And then journalism happened by accident. Yeah. Yeah. I do believe, you know, there's, you, you go and figure out your life as life goes, right? Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting that last year, one of the big things that, like revelations that came to me was that I really need to work on something for the community. I mean, I, I don't have the profile to be a, a lonely freelancer at home translating or something like that. I really need to feel that what we're doing is changing something major. I mean, mm. you can also call this something selfish or, you know, I do it for my own pleasure, helping others yep. or something like that. Sure. Um, there's always a, something to discuss about this. But I, I do feel that what I see in journalism, it's really the tool for change mm -hmm. and the tool for mobilization. But then I'm also very critical of activists who have a very emotional opinion and have no facts. So that's also something I appreciate about journalism or data, that it also gives you um, accuracy and uh, facts to, yeah. to, to, to prove your point. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I would love to talk a little bit about, um, so, so let's see, when we knew each other, when we met, you were living in the Netherlands and mm -hmm. for most of the years of our friendship you've lived in the Netherlands but um, about in Amsterdam yeah specifically let's keep it specific because <laughs> we can't really speak for the rest of this country <gasps> we can speak for this town um, and then and then last a little over a year ago or more a year and a half a year and a half ago yeah um, you moved to Lisbon mm -hmm. um, and you know uh, 
there's plenty to talk about anywhere you go in this world, and there's always uh, topics. But one topic close to my heart is the simple what it's never simple, but what's going on in Portugal. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're one of the sources in my life where I see more than I would if I've just glanced at friends' social media that's mostly about family and mm-hmm. uh, you know dog photos. Um, you are not busy with dog photos, <laughs> but you are. Um, within the time that you've been back getting active as you said with with communities i would say um and i would like to ask a little bit about the things that have been going on i mean one of the biggest ones i'll start with and this is like a national story but still it, it's close to the place you grew up and and actually the place that i grew up too uh, at least in the summers um and that is the the fires or the forest fires in uh, the district of Lady is That's the wildfires. Yeah, yeah, the wildfire. Yeah, I was just thinking, what are we? What is the English versions of all this? <laughs> um, but so, I mean, to put it into context, because amazingly, well, news cycles as they are, and then regional differences. Not everybody will know about this mm-hmm. in Europe. I think a lot of people have heard. Basically, 2017, there were wildfires in Portugal. Now that is not necessarily new, but what. What is new is where they were and the scale, mm-hmm. right? I mean, explain a little bit about what happened. Okay, all right. So uh, I'm not sure how much you know about wildfires or Portugal, the your fans or your <laughs> listeners. Uh, so the thing is, Portugal always burns a lot every year. I mean, ge- geographically, it's a region that is very dry, mm-hmm. and then it gets really... Um, uh, hot hot as well in the summer, and it is very prone to get fires. Then, surprisingly enough, we have a population of weirdos and crazy people who set fires on purpose, mm. either to claim insurance money or out of revenge. And this happens, people. This really happens. Yeah, because at first I was like, <laughs> well, is that just a story we tell? But no. No, most of the fires are actually criminal. For instance, the fire you're just talking about, it is proven that it's criminal. It's now in court. Uh, some of the other big wildfires that happened this summer, they're not necessarily criminal, although they are um, they they have a human touch, mm. which are caused by, what do you call it in English, actually? I don't know. When you have sheep and someone that takes care of sheep. Oh, shepherds. it's a shepherd? Yeah. yeah, so shepherds. Okay, let's take two steps back. You all heard about climate change, right? <laughs> so heard. climate change exists and what happens now (laughs) hashtag controversy uh what happens now is that the seasons are Ah. super mixed up so back in the days shepherds and farmers they would uh do small fires to burn the Mm -hmm. like the leftovers of the crops around september or october and i mean Actually, if you read a little bit more about this, fire is a common element of nature, and nature uses fire to recycle the materials. So they would follow the cycle of nature, and that would be around September, October. But right now, as as it is, like in October in Portugal, we have sometimes 40 degrees Celsius. So obviously, if you set a fire in a day that is 40 Celsius, everything you know, it'll be uncontrollable, unstoppable. And that's exactly what happened in October 2017. Actually, I was in Amsterdam when that happened, uh, that there was a criminal fire in my region. And actually, Mark, you're saying I live close to the forest. I live in the middle of the forest, Mm. or I used to. Mm -hmm. And then there were the other wildfires a little bit up north, close to Coimbra, that were some shepherds that had 
try to burn the leftovers mm -hmm. from the crops. And then that kind of, yeah, uh, was uncontrollable. Yeah. So what, what else can I say? Um, yeah, climate change, <laughs> uh, human stupidity. Uh, what else? Really bad in, in Portugal. You also have a lot of species that are not native species. Eucalyptus, which is a huge um, parasite, if I can call that. Yeah. It comes originally from New Zealand. It was brought to Portugal and to Europe in the 19th century because it grows really fast and yeah. it's used in the paper industry. It also burns really fast. And yeah. more than that, when it burns, it explodes, causing the fire to travel really fast. Yeah. I know for people who don't live in the region, this is really hard to imagine. Uh, I can maybe send you some pictures, Mark, and then yeah. you can share it on your social media sure. channels. Yeah. But it's just, uh, like for instance, in, in my region, which is the biggest um, pine wood forest in Portugal, one of the biggest in Europe, and mm -hmm. that was planted in the 14th century, 87% yeah. burned. Yeah. 87, dude, that's yeah. like... It's, it's a lot. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the hard part, like, especially, okay, we're in audio format right now, mm -hmm. but you could tell people, oh, there were fires. And you could say, hey, the fire was big. But I feel like the understanding of the scale of it, um, it doesn't always come across mm, uh, yeah. in that sense. But I mean, to that end, you've actually done some work um, related to the idea of communicating what's what's happened mm -hmm. there and, and giving people a better impression of... What does it mean, you know, 87% or what does it look like? What does it feel like even? Mm -hmm. um, all in this attempt, I think, to get people to understand better, right? Instead of me just telling you, here's the percent of forest, here's the type of trees, which is all important for a story, but there is something about feeling it, mm -hmm. right? Um, so that's when I actually saw that, I guess it's been it's been a while now, but you you did the um, a 360 story, in fact. Mm -hmm. um, I talk a little bit about that. Now, I think people out there know of the concept of, um, what's the official term for it? Video that is basically 360? The, the 360 video? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, and especially like, I think Facebook accommodated that option like uh -huh. a year or more ago. So people occasionally throw in a... It's not as immersive as with a VR headset. It's very different. But yeah, but it's still a great tool. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, right. There should be a headset involved in all this. Uh -huh. Well, there should be as in you'd get a better experience, but you can still watch it in 360 player on Facebook or on YouTube as well. Yeah. yeah. So you went and, and did a story that was in the 360. Yeah, I did it with moment. a journalist uh, from Euronews. And um, yeah, and so we mainly filmed in the... Um, in th in two regions in the north of Portugal, north center, that had, had also burned in October. And then we did a big chunk of it in Pedrogon Grande, which was uh, another, it's another village that in June 2017 had another big wildfire. 66 people died, most of them in one single road, burned in their cars. Maybe this is more of a image for people who are listening. Yeah. It's quite horrifying. Uh, and then a little bits in my hometown and i have to say that the one we filmed we shot in pedrago was just horrible because it's a huge valley just with eucalyptus and it's like you enter a ghost a ghost forest hmm. and people so many people died in every single village you go and you talk to people and we're talking about elderly mm -hmm. who live in the middle of nowhere in yeah. portugal there's like a little church 10 houses 
on top of each mountain and it's it's just it's overwhelming mm -hmm. i had to cry for one hour before i had to interview one of the main victims who had i think three people including her seven-year-old son dying burnt in the car and um Yeah, so we did that 360 piece. You can watch it at the, well, advertisement time, sure. Euronews website. Yeah. Um, maybe you can also share it on your social media channels. Uh, yeah. And it was, I think the final product is quite immersive. I think you get a feeling of the tragedy it is. Mm -hmm. Also how local people and firefighters, which are normally amateur, they are not paid, they're volunteer. Yeah. How they fight these these fires which are not it's impossible even if you have the whole army or firefighting ex uh, army from europe i don't know it's <laughs> impossible to fight these fires because there's it's really hot there there's wind there's like tropical storms coming yep. and um yeah hmm. all right so that's an also interesting for people who say well we just need more more people fighting more no i think no, a little bit but i mostly think that governments need to accept climate change exists mm -hmm. they need to train people and local people to adapt yeah. their behaviors to yep. these new adversities and to climate change there needs to be especially in portugal uh a new forest law because the way they plant the forests it's totally wrong i mean if you have i don't have the exact percentages But if most of our forest is eucalyptus <laughs> that burns really easily, yeah. man, that's like that. yeah. a ticket to hell, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, uh, one of the discussions, um, and, and you and I were briefly talking about a in Portuguese um, an audio report or podcast actually, which was about what people are doing now with planting. And they were trying to a little bit get into what the plan is, what trees will be allowed, what trees won't be allowed, why, uh, and also these ideas of um, as they plant trees, specifying specific areas where they don't plant or where they plant a different kind, all mm -hmm. with the idea of when a fire happens or if a fire happens, then how we can reduce the Uh, sort of impact or the, the the ability to spread and part of that is being more strategic about mm -hmm. what trees we're planting there and uh, but yeah the, the, also this idea of stop with the eucalyptus which is basically a, a quick money yeah thing and i you know full disclosure my family is in this business um, <laughs> by inheritance i am in this yeah. business um we're actually trying to uh divest from eucalyptus <laughs> but it's a process because uh we need someone buy this stuff from us um, no and also cleaning cleaning the the forest yeah. is a lot of work because the roots are so big it's you it's uh really complicated to remove really remove it i and, tell you it was hard for people who live outside of the country is yeah. finding someone who can do it yeah people can claim they can do it and then they don't ah, uh, and that okay kind of thing. but anyway this is <laughs> no but this is a very drama. interesting conversation let me yeah. just do a, a quick um aside aside here because <laughs> um uh, one of the big problem one of the biggest problems with this forest thing is that most of the eucalyptus forest in portugal is owned by privates yeah so it's really hard to control i mean you can have laws but it's really hard to control if people are cleaning the what you, what they call the green fossils like bushes that are growing between the trees mm -hmm. if they're respecting the distance between trees or between trees and houses and so on mm -hmm. um whereas like my 
my my forest that burned was public so it's a little bit easier and then just like your family mark there are a lot of people who inherit these forests these private forests and they're not in the country so you have a big chunk of land that is owned by someone but that someone is nowhere to be seen <laughs> and now i think the government has been trying to approve laws that if they don't i don't know if they claim. don't pick up claim or yeah. something in three years then the government can go and claim the land Ooh. but that's like super complicated yeah. and then we're talking about votes and elections right so it's not really a measure that they they're brave enough to take right yeah. so good for you that your family at least cares Oh yeah, but uh, but it's uh, it's it's technically it's such a it's a process, like you said, like cleaning uh, cleaning out the underbrush and eventually taking out the trees if mm -hmm. that's the long term goal. Um, finding those that can do it, especially we're talking now, it, it'll connect with the shrinking of the villages, mm -hmm. right, and the urbanization of a population. Well, in these villages, which are right next door to these eucalyptus forests, private in this case, but public i'm sure is included Th there had been people who knew mm -hmm. how to handle such things who, who had a sort of expertise in this most of them are gone there's a business opportunity here <laughs> are there any eucalyptus but how do you experts? learn right how do you learn that's the thing it didn't get passed on and uh i'm sure there's an eucalyptus school somewhere where you could yes, australia <laughs> yeah. or what did you say it came from new zealand yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. well <laughs> We need some expertise from abroad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there, there's something else. I want to do a, a gradual transition, but you can stop me if we didn't um, mm -hmm. hit on something. I mean, it's an ongoing thing. So one of the things I'm curious about in the coming year and years is this now process of, okay, replant the forest or, yeah. or, or go, what do we do moving forward? I think it's really important that uh, because you you're like talking about your own example, like oh it's so much work we have to clean it and then <laughs> blah blah, and people have to start looking at these private forests as a business. You know, uh, I am not capitalist. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but if you don't look at it like a business, you won't take care of it. So it's actually good if people start looking at their land as a way of making a profit, because then they're able to make it more efficient and better for the the land and the soil and the nature. Yeah. Uh, because eucalyptus is a business, but it's a bad business. Mm -hmm. It's not a, a really good business long term. For instance, it is proven that other trees like oak, which actually don't burn or don't burn as easily when there's a fire they're much more profitable in the long term so maybe you should look into that hmm. uh, and for instance in my forest in Pinal Lidia with the economic crisis there was a huge disinvestment in, in, in the forest it was a forest that used to be very profitable and then the money would be reinvested in the forest again and that would be a perfect cycle but between nature and local community. With economic crisis, there was a huge disinvestment and the ownership of the forest went from the local government to the central government in Lisbon. Oh. So that means that no one else, no one would clean it. There would People would not really make money out of it. They lost the interest. It would just be for a picnic once in a while when it was great weather. Hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think it's really important that in Portugal, people start looking at forests as and land in general as something that is part of their daily lives and something as a business. Yeah. yeah. So it doesn't get abandoned. Yeah. Right. Right. And then the bad things that happen when it is. Sorry, am I being too activist now? Or? No, I don't okay. think so. I don't I, look. And I mean, what's interesting about this also is, unlike some perhaps larger problems in our lives, maybe you can see yourself in it. 
Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I immediately can see haha, myself in this issue that impacts so many people's lives. Yeah. Um, so, it, it, you know, that old excuse of I don't know what to do because it's too big. It's like, well, no, I can actually point to some people who could by their individual actions make mm-hmm. quite a difference here. And actually, I mean, maybe I can connect that. Uh-huh. You're trying ha, to change ha, topics. Ha. Go ahead. Well, I want to cover one other thing um, a little bit at least, which is. Uh, the issue of fracking, and this is still related to land, right? Maybe it's too big, I don't know, optional (laughs) cut here. Um, But but so, you know, when I think about Portugal and resources, what do I think of besides forests? Um, Cork. Water. Water, wave power, and wind Wind, power. But over the last pair of years, let's say a year Uh or two, uh, and, and somewhat... Through you pointing to things in the news, there's the emergence of the idea of gas, natural gas. Oh, oil, gas. Oil, right. OMG, it's <laughs> the end of the world. <laughs> but so what's going on? I mean, basically, they've discovered that the coast of Portugal has possibly has either ga- natural gas or oil. Uh, Oil, yeah. I mean, okay, so two ste- let's take two steps back. The whole earth is the deposit of fossil fuels. Get right? on it. Yeah. yeah. So basically, now that the biggest oil or gas companies in the world have, I'm not sure what the technical English term is, but that have discovered the big reservoirs of oil and gas, and they're already, you know, using them. Now they're looking into other possibilities. So they're doing a lot of research and, and, and they're, they're doing a lot of oil drilling or, or fracking to to study other options, uh, which are never as big as the other options. So mm-hmm. it's not that you're gonna be you're gonna have a new Texas right. or a, a new Gulf of Mexico in Portugal or, or mm-hmm. anything like that. And basically, and just to do a b- brief summary, uh, more or less in the 90s, we had um, a government and a prime minister called Cavaco Silva. My grandmother loved him. Really? Yeah, huge fan. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm not. Sh- I hate him. But anyways, maybe we could never be. No, friends. I mean we can really get into it. Like uh, you know, he he gave aprons in his campaign. And, yeah, TV and, sets yeah, and fridges. Yeah. I am and sure he was a teacher, which you know got instant admiration in my grandmother's era. Okay, the professor. Anyway, carry on. Okay, I'm not. I'm gonna stop judging. Anyways, <laughs> no, you can. they did. They did. Uh, they did. They run kind of a program where they split Portugal and the whole um, maritime territory, which is huge, is the biggest one in Europe, mm. into like little portions that they could go out and sell for oil drilling and fracking. It's really interesting. It's like dividing your tiny country plus the whole. Ocean. O- ocean and yeah. sell it in small portions so you can dig and ruin the whole nature there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now what happened is that let's go to 2015 and 10 days before the elections, the government back then uh, gave away 16 contracts or sold 16 contracts to big um, oil companies, multinationals like um, uh, any that they're Italian, uh, Repsol, also Portuguese one called Galp, etc., etc. And most of the licenses are for oil drilling. Um, if you guys surf, you must know Nazareb, Nish, Al Jazeera in the south. If you yoga, <laughs> also yoga, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then also for fracking in my regions, actually our region, because your family is also from there. Mm. Um, some of the fracking would actually 
uh, be in the this big forest that burned. Others mm. very close to this religious Catholic religious center called, called Fatima. Mm. Yeah, it's really weird. Um, there are several environmental studies done worldwide that say, you know, I'm not even going to talk about oil drilling because we have all seen the images of oil spills and how it affects nature. Yeah. Uh, but several studies regarding fracking, how it causes earthquakes, mm -hmm. how the water is contaminated, causing, you know, abortions, uh, mm -hmm. diseases like cancer and so on. And we're talking about Portugal has been placing itself for the past 15 years as a, a leader, a global leader of renewables. Yeah. And this is kind of like just a huge yeah. shoot in the foot. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. yeah. The population is um, in general misinformed. Everyone thinks that the drill will be only in Algarve. So there's a lot of mobilization against that. Local populations there, local companies as well, local municipalities. But then in the rest of the country, no one really knows what's happening. So I run a small campaign called Linha Vermelha, the Red Line which was created more or less a year and a half ago uh, by one of my colleagues. And um, we target non-activists because in Portugal in general, people don't really like serious issues. So we use knitting and crochet, uh, actually crochet the French word, because in English knitting is for both things. We use knitting, aka craft activism, as a way of involving people and non-activists into discussing serious issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, we are knitting the longest red line in the world, 52 kilometers. We're aiming to break the Guinness, Guinness record. <laughs> so all help is needed. We even have groups in Mississippi, in Australia. It's really crazy. We have currently around three kilometers, more or less. It does take time to knit 52 kilometers, trust me. Uh, and this way, we're actually... We've been able to involve a lot of people who otherwise would not be interested in the topic. Right now, we're starting a couple of activities and events in our region, in the center region, where people are known to be more closed, close-minded. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. You know, they're very entrepreneurial. They like their their landowners. Yeah. So they're very s skeptical of right. environmental rights. Whatever's yeah. profitable. That's exactly. Yeah, yeah. But we've so far have have had like really great results. Everyone laughs whenever they hear about the campaign. They think we're like fools. But the truth is that they start knitting and they listen to us and we normally take environmental experts and so on. Yeah. So that's, uh, we're aiming, right now there's five contracts. Um, I'm I'm truly hoping that the government cancels, cancels them all because again, this is really bad for reputation. But then there's more problems coming. There's also now, I'm not sure if you know about this, there's also a gasoduct, a, a huge European project of a gasoduct to connect Europe to North America with gas. And it goes, of course, through Spain and then Portugal. Uh, I think it's more or less 200 something kilometers just in Portugal. So it's like a, a line, a pipeline. A pipeline. 30 kilometers out of this 200 something is in pure forest. It's really bad. Crosses like a lot of mountains. Oh. If you've ever been to Portugal, we have amazing nature and it's just yeah. going to destroy it all. Yeah. Yeah. So we're also... And then it crosses the Atlantic? Yeah. I mean, they, they don't have it in the plants yet, but that's the goal. Otherwise, why would you do a pipeline crossing Europe... And then we are the entry to the right. Atlantic Ocean. Right. Yeah. So huh. that's it. Yeah. Alarm, it. alarm, yeah. alert. I mean, danger, we, danger. Yeah. And the government does have the power to cancel some of these contracts. They do. They know. do. But I can imagine. I mean, I'm not naive. I can imagine that they would have to pay billions in compensation. Right. Go to court. Yeah. 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 Something like that. 
Are any companies from these 16 from the... From now the five. Now five contracts. Six, nine have been canceled oh, in the last okay, year and a half. That's what I was So, yeah. Say. So, no. So, we're actually... Wow. Everything we're doing, not just Linha Vermelha, but all the regional and national movements, it is working. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, all you need is for that to continue. <laughs> right? Just keep doing the same thing. No? It seems that this these five remaining are more complicated. Yeah. But at this time, of those five remaining contracts, is anybody any company actually already actively removing be it oil or gas? Uh no. Like an Algarve? No. No, 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 no. But there's one one specific contract in Al Jazeera that they were supposed to drill now. Hmm. But there was a um, a court order to cancel it or suspend it for three months. So now in May, we're, they're going to assess it again. Hmm. And the ship, so there's like a ship that is traveling to do it. And it's now coming from Turkey to Cyprus, traveling around the Mediterranean. So we're following the ship. Hmm. So we know things are moving. And this one... We're now planning, um, beginning of April, a huge march, a marsh in Lisbon. Yeah. There's a lot of campaigns going on now because this one is about to happen. Yeah. And uh, we're really afraid of that one. Right. Yeah. yeah, I was wondering if companies would try and, knowing that the future is uncertain, but try and take advantage now, now and get... Yeah, but luckily, there's a couple of, luckily, or I mean, through hard work, there's a lot of organizations in Algarve that have law working, they're working with lawyers. Yeah. And, um, and they were able to stop it for three months, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Never underestimate the power of Portugal to slow everything down. <laughs> <laughs> when, when this power can be used for good. You don't know what you're getting into, companies. Uh, <laughs> oh, maybe Maybe bureaucracy will save nature. Who knows? <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right, Katarina. It's I. I, I don't want to. I would keep you here talking about things for a very long time, but instead, mm -hmm. I'll just invite you back, and we'll do it again. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, and I'll come visit you so that we can hear from the about these things in Portugal. Yeah, maybe you can attend one of our events in two weeks. That sounds when you're in good. Lisbon. Actually, that's uh, we're gonna have one on twentieth of March. So I think that'll work. Yay! Great. Right. Maybe you can do a live podcast from there. I think that'll work too. High huh, five. Look at that. Yeah. It just happened. <laughs> yeah, we'll work on this. So you'll be hearing more about it. But of course, as we've mentioned a few uh, links, I'll put them in the show notes and mm -hmm. then people can read for themselves, follow for themselves. And I can even follow better because mm -hmm. I know that I could. I was just waiting for you to arrive so I can ask. <laughs> it's the lazy old-fashioned way. Okay. Uh, let me just say something. International pressure is really important in, the, in this climate issue, especially in Portugal because the country is positioning itself as like come and live here we're such we have great conditions and so on yeah. so please you don't have to knit but you can get involved in some other shapes and forms um mark can also update you on that one please do let's stop this in portugal and everywhere around the world as well yeah. yes all right okay thank you Katarina bye bye. thanks so much talk to you soon Ciao. bye
essa ideia que sempre vou ser o estrangeiro, sempre não importa que eu falo a língua, não importa que sou isso também não é necessariamente mal não, é verdade é, pelo menos é especial true, 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 true não, mas é muito bom regressar cá sentes sempre um amor muito grande das pessoas que estão aqui, eu acho hum. por isso, hum. isso é bom